Wonderful. Welcome back from the sleet zerd of last week, the sleet zerd of the century. And um, it's crazy how much uh, sleet we have. That's just a fun word, isn't it? Sleet. Don't you just love saying that? Um, I'm excited to be here with you tonight, and uh, it's a privilege and honor to join with you. But I want to begin, if we can, uh, with a moment of interaction. That means uh, I'll ask certain questions. And uh, this is an open time, an open forum. Uh, for some of you, use discernment for others that shouldn't be speaking uh, to answer some of these questions. So let's begin here. Where do you look for truth? I, I know that's kind of a broad question, so let's start breaking it down in subcategories, shall we? Movies, for instance. Who's your critic? Let's go. Who's your critic? Google. Okay, that was creative. Anyone else? Rotten Tomatoes. Any of the Rotten Tomato fans here? That website is amazing. I love it, right? How many of you guys still listen to, uh, what's his, Ebert? Yeah, okay. One of you. Good. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about news. Um, how many Channel 4 people we got here? That's where you... Seriously? <laughs> Channel 5? Really? This, this is an interesting poll right here. Yeah. Right, yeah. All right. And it, and it holds true, right? I mean, this is clearly, uh, clearly the... Any just Fox News lovers? You just love Fox? <laughs> classic, classic. Any uh, sports center? That's where you go for your news? I'm like, what's going on in the world? I don't know. They might trade uh, Carmelo. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, where do you go for uh, just your, your people information? How many of you guys uh, are celebrities? How many of you guys are Leno? You're Leno here. Any Leno? Letterman? I'm becoming a, a, a new fan of uh, Jimmy Fallon. Any Jimmy Fallon fans here? Some of you guys? Good. That's good. Um, how, about, how about just your general research information? Uh, honestly, how many of you guys literally use Wikipedia like it's the, the scripture? Okay. There they are, right? It's like you, you use Wikipedia to then find other resources. Listen, let, let's just have a moment of, a moment of vulnerability. How many of you still, and this, this isn't just for the college students, how many of you still go to the library? Anyone still go to the library? Okay, nice. What do you do there? What, what do you do at the library? What's that? You get on the internet, okay? Um, here's the thing. The World Wide Web, you can connect with anywhere. So like in your home or, you know, no, it's... Anyone else, what do you do at the library? Like, so some, do some of you guys actually still read at the library? Okay. Nice. We got it. <laughs> What's that? I, I just, I struggle at the library because there's volume control there. You know what I'm saying? Like I just, I struggle being in there. So all, all these different areas, and there's a litany of other questions we could ask of where you find truth. Let's agree with this. Whatever it is that you, wherever it is that you look for truth, it's critical. Um, because just because you're looking for truth there doesn't mean that it's true. And, and, and I, like, I, I, I can't say that any other way, except everything that you hear, read, or see though it's claimed as true, may not be true. Well, for us, um, we have a very clear path of searching for truth. We have one resource that we use uh, primarily, and that's the Scripture, the Word of God. And um, that's where we go for our answers. Uh, that's, that's actually where we go for, like, all things current. And I know that seems weird, but what's amazing about the Bible is it's not just written in an ancient format, but it has such relevance for today, Okay. Uh, it's where we go to, to find out about uh, the, the best uh, celebrity, if you will, in the world. And that's uh, the name and person of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you with last uh, two weeks ago before the sleet zerd, we started um, this new journey through 
a, a one particular book in this overall book of uh, the, the truth called the Bible, and that was Hebrews, okay? And what we saw was that the pursuit of Hebrews is not just focused on truth, but in really honing in for us what truth can be found in the Scripture. So, if you haven't turned there yet, turn there with me to Hebrews. If you're just joining us, welcome. We teach verse by verse uh, through the Scriptures. And so we'll be in Hebrews now for many weeks, many months, and uh, potentially many years. Um, Probably not, though, but we'll give it a go here. So I want to read these first three verses where we began two weeks ago to build some framework. Are you all there? Say I'm there. And what's the page number of our pew Bibles? 860. Did I hear that right? Perfect. 860. Here we go. Verse one. Uh, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So as all of scripture does, Hebrews is going to do the same thing. It points to one person and that's the person of Jesus. He's the ultimate picture of truth. Uh, Jesus said, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, we answered some questions, though, about the pursuit of learning more about Jesus in the framework of Hebrews. Three questions. When was it written? Who was the audience? Who was it written to? And who wrote it? Okay? Uh, the date. Anyone remember? What's the date? We don't know. Okay? Sorry about that. We, we don't know when it was written. I gave you a bracket of, let's say, between like somewhere of 30 and 70 A.D. It had to be after 30. That's when Jesus ascends. It had to be before 70 A.D. because that's when the Jerusalem temple is destroyed. So 40-year bracket. Uh, The author, anyone remember? Don't know that either. Sorry about that. So we're going with the Holy Spirit. Um, As with the rest of the scripture, God wrote it, okay? Uh, Sometimes uh, the author chooses to name himself uh, more specifically, and other times in this case, not. But the audience... The audience, that's what we do know. Jewish Christians. And in our journey, the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of the truest truth in Christ, to understand that this is written to a Jewish Christian is huge. Because apparently the Jewish Christians that this is written to were struggling, grabbing on to this new way of Christ. They grew up where everything is ritualistic, everything is routine, all the festivals, all the uh, Judaistic ways of, of learning and celebrating God, the sacrificial system, all of that. They come to Christ initially, begin relationship with him. But then like often we do, they begin to struggle. They begin to dabble back with the old. They begin to seek all these old things because that's what they know best. And what we ended last week was this is written for us. Because many of us who began relationship with Jesus, our toughest tension is the old man. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, that we're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. But I'll speak for myself, the old man rears its ugly head often, doesn't it? It's like, why do I taste and want something that is so grotesque? And that's the whole theme of Hebrews, the new is better. My grandpa always said, just because it's newer, it doesn't make it better. But in this case, Hebrews, it does. 
the new covenant is better because the new covenant is the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus. Amen? And so, three verses. And then things get really interesting. And I'm so glad you're here tonight because this is going to be a really interesting evening. So here's what I want to do. I want to read this next section of scripture and uh, we'll kind of chuckle a bit and then we'll dive in. All right, here we go. Verse four. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's keep going and just read the rest of this uh, section here. Verse five. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Interesting. Verse 8. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unrighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands, verse 11. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end, verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And verse 14 Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Angels, good luck with that, right? It's like, okay, Um, let's just come together for a moment. If we were to pool all of our general wisdom in here about angels, I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's not much, okay? Um, Most of our understanding of angels has been shaped by, uh, touched by an angel, Angels in the outfield, anyone? Remember that, right? Yeah. City of Angels, Nicolas Cage, anyone? Right? Uh, we live in a culture where um, you hear this rhetoric all the time, like I have a guardian angel, or uh, you, like one out of every five people that has a tattoo has somewhere on their body a tattoo of an angel, whether it be a bad one or a good one, and I'll explain more of that later, right? Like we, we live in this age where um, angels have become something that we don't understand. Seriously, like if I were to ask those of you who have been Christians for a long time here, like, give me a biblical doctrine of angels. What would you say? They have wings in their white. I don't know. They fly. They're fast. They talk a lot. I don't know. They sing. You know, they have angel, you know, they have angelic voices, obviously, like those kind of things. Now, tonight, if you're here, here's what we're going to do. I'm not claiming at all uh, to somehow have arrived in my understanding of angels, uh, but I had an extra week to study them. Okay. And, uh, and so we're going to dive in tonight. We're going to look at the scripture. We're going to build a biblical doctrine of angelic work so that when we leave tonight, listen, we don't just understand angels in the context here in Hebrews, but listen, this is all going to drive to a very specific point. And I believe it's the point of which he puts it here. Okay. Are you guys with me? And so let's, let's begin with a couple questions as we get in here. Uh, The first is what I just mentioned. Why angels? Why now? Right. It's like he, like the radiance of Christ. He's building this like strong doctrine of Jesus and his supreme nature. And then all of a sudden he says, verse four, right? Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Why angels? Why now? If you're writing this letter and some believe a sermon, why in the first part of it? And it's long. Why in the first part of it do you just jump to angels? What's happening in that day that makes the writer here just go to angels? 
Well, I think I have an answer for you. Um, in Jewish culture, there is this huge, listen, this huge disconnect between people and God. They literally are spending their lives sacrificing animals, trying to make penance through other people to bridge this gap. Do you understand? All of their life is like the distance between them as people and, and this great God that the, the Jews claim to worship. Do you see? This huge disconnect. And when Moses gave the law, it even made that disconnect farther because they realized we can't follow God's law. And so the Jews began to reach. They began to make intercessors and mediators that weren't mediators at all. You see what I'm saying? They began to reach. Maybe we can get closer to God and bridge this gap through various ways and including, in this case, angels. They're cosmic beings. They live somewhere in the heavens. So maybe if we can, like even maybe worship them or put them on a higher pedestal, then maybe this disconnect between us and God will close. Do you understand? Because at the end of the day, all people everywhere, as we pointed to in the beginning, are looking for love and truth. Any, anyone, everywhere, in every generation. And so if in your pursuit of truth, you could somehow bridge the gap between you and this holy, good God, you can kind of see how you would start reaching out. And they were. It's crazy stuff that the, uh, some of the sects of the Jews believed about angels. Um, some said that there were 200 angels that, that like ran all the stars. <laughs> like there's just 200 angels like flying around and like putting stars all over the place. Um, uh, there were some Jews that, that literally believed uh, and they just started like naming any possible angel so that then they could name their children that. So just crazy weird names that you find in research of all the things that the Jews were doing. But all of it was not closing the gap between them and God, it was actually making it farther because they were getting more confused. And so listen, when the writer starts out, Jesus is the supreme being. He goes right to angels because he says, you have to get out of your dome this idea that an angel can be your intercessor. If you believe that, if you believe that the angel is the way that you make this gap up between you and God, you will spend your life wasting your time because an angel isn't that. So what is an angel? Right? Good question. Okay? So let's, let's try this out. Uh, angels um, were created. Okay? They were created spiritual beings. Uh, there are certain texts, and I'm not going to have time to go into all this, that point to, of course, them showing up in the form of man. And we'll look at some scripture later, though um, all theologians agree they don't have like bones and stuff. They're spiritual beings, okay? And there was um, a one angel that was named anyone, like one of the, the evil angel, remember? Lucifer, okay? Isaiah tells us that. And Lucifer grows in pride, desires to become God, and God sends him out of the heavens and, and down. And Ephesians says, he becomes the ruler of the world and of this, of this concept that we call hell. Now, Revelation says that a third of the angels go with Lucifer, okay? Leaving two thirds of the angels with God in the heavens. Now, uh, it already creates this very mysterious gap, right? My big questions are, what, what are the angels doing? Okay, anyone? We've created all this rhetoric, right? Have you ever heard like, dude, there's angels like going to war right now. Like over, you know, over this whole thing was like, they're flying all around. We can't even see them. 
is that true? You know, is, is that something that's a, a, a true or false statement? We've made it before, or, or you've heard people say, like, right now, over this car, uh, the, the ever-classic baby, a gift is what? It's like this teddy bear with, like, you know, like an angel halo, right? It's like, here is your guardian angel in a stuffed teddy bear, you know? Like, here, your child is good to go. Put this bear, you know, it's like, what are we talking about? Okay, so the only thing I can do then, the only thing I can do, is all we can do is sit back and look at some scriptures and try to understand biblically what angels are and what they do, okay? So can we do that? All right, so let's look at a mostly through a Luke and Acts, what angels are. First slide here. Okay, this is in the beginning uh, as a Christ's birth is coming, uh, coming up. In Luke here, he says, and he came to her and said, the he there is an angel. Greetings, O favored one. Uh, they have a phenomenal vocabulary. Uh, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call him. What? Jesus. So an angel comes and proclaims. Next slide. Let's keep building our understanding here. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And guess what? An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They're Bright, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ. It's like it's Christmas time here, isn't it? Don't you feel like. Don't you? Okay. And next slide. Um, another place in Scripture. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God. So now they're not proclaiming, but there's something else happening here saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, so they're communicating some things and now uh, they're, they're singing or giving praise. Next slide in Matthew 4. Many of you guys will know the story. Jesus is tempted, okay, by Satan himself. And this is the end of the story. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. <laughs> Uh, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, you shall, um, and, and him only shall you serve. Verse 11, Then the, demo, the devil left, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay? So they're proclaiming things, and they're worshiping, and here they're, listen, they're ministering to, to Jesus. Interesting. Next slide. Luke 22. And he withdrew from... Uh, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. Uh, this is on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus is preparing to die, he goes to pray. Verse 42, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Interesting. Okay, let's keep going, shall we? The fun just begun. The last piece of Luke here, Luke 24. While they were perplexed about this, behold, this is uh, at the resurrection of Jesus. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Uh, angels be looking good. You know what I'm saying? Like, they proclaim, they have great voices, and they, they look good. Dazzling apparel, okay? Clearly Puma garb, verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Luke, okay? 
Now, Luke apparently has an affinity for angels because they're the most mentioned of the Gospels are in Luke, and Luke also wrote Acts, which has uh, one of the greatest mentions as well. So let's look at a few in Acts, because to be honest, when we were talk, first talking about the scripture, what we do as a staff is we just shoot from the hip, and that's a basketball term, meaning like you're, you're, you're just kind of just throwing it out there. So in our first conversations about the text, we just throw out a bunch of questions. I had a theory. My theory was, after the gospels, the mentions of angels until Revelation goes drastically down. Because Revelation has the most mention of of angels that is in the Bible, okay? There's 300, by the way, total. But my theory, incorrect, okay? Acts, there is a tremendous amount of mention of angels, which is really interesting for you and I. My theory was, they they must just leave after Jesus is gone or the mention of them. Not true. Acts, here we go. The ascension, Acts 1, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold... Two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Could could you just picture this? Don't you, you know, seriously, could you picture an angel talking to you, right? Two men, white robes, men of Galilee, right? I just, I love this. It makes me laugh. It maybe will you too one day. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you uh, go and saw him, uh, as you saw him go into heaven. Next slide. Okay. At the ascension. Now an interesting uh, time here in Acts 5. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So all the apostles uh, at that time gathered there, they're put into prison. Now watch this, verse verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Now, now this is something we haven't seen yet, right? Strengthening and all these different things. And now he's busting people out of the can. You know what I'm saying? Like things are getting intense. And this won't be his only time in Acts either. He, I mean them, you get what I'm saying. Acts 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south uh, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. So now all of a sudden we have an angel like barking out commands. Interesting. Uh, finally here in Acts 12. One of my favorite stories in Acts. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, um, which is, by the way, that's like the angelic word. Like behold is just like, boom, you know what I mean? Like here they come, always in scripture, it seems. Behold uh, is the, uh, the beginning word of them. An angel of the Lord stood next to him and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. He like... They, they're like, like, they box, apparently, right? And woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Okay, that was the quickest survey I could do for you biblically about angels. Now, we need to sum that up somehow. It's like, all right, what does all that mean? What are angels? Let's sum it up in this. Biblically, angels are messengers and ministers, okay? Messengers, um, because they come at oftentimes sharing the plans of God. Even at times, in an interesting way, prophesying about what God's going to do, his birth. Okay, they're ministering to Mary and those at his uh, ascension. And ministers. Now, they're ministers to God in that they worship him. You see? 
Their ministry is to God. They were created beings to minister to God, not in the way that even in the strengthening there, the Greek word implies worship. They're worshiping Christ, therefore strengthening Him. You see what I'm saying? They're submitting to Him, and I'll show you one of those mentions later. They're ministering to Jesus. They're they're strengthening Jesus because they're worshiping and submitting to Him. But they're also ministers to people. Okay? Now, I'm going to let that linger for a bit. Because for me going into this, it was way easier to talk about demons than it was angels. Anyone else? I feel like I can understand demons a little bit better, which sounds really strange. I know. It's like, what are you, you know? No. But angels, like, they just feel so disconnected. So to say that they're ministers, not just to God and worship, but to people, what does that mean? We'll hold that off. Okay? That's the quickest survey I can do for you before we dive in here about angels. Are we together? Messengers, ministers. When someone asks you about what an angel is, you don't point them to angels in the outfield. Go watch the movie because it's completely doctrinally sound. Don't do that, all right? You look in the text and you pull out two words. Listen, it's a mystery. Angels, it's crazy stuff, but I know this. They're messengers and ministers, okay? You can spot off the text. Now, what happens is he says, Jesus, Jesus is better than these angels, He's better. These angels, they're cosmic beings, they're messengers, they're ministers. And I know you, as a Jewish Christian, have struggled putting them as intercessor and mediator. But you need to understand five things. Is that Jesus is better. So let's look at these five things, shall we? Here we go. Jesus is superior to angels because, verse 5 in Hebrews 1. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So the first thing he says is Jesus appeared to angels because next, he's the son of God. Now, here's here's something that's interesting. Angels, plural, are called, anyone in the scripture? Sons of God. Have you seen the references five times? Sons of God. But no angel, including Michael and Gabriel, which are like the commanders of the troops. I won't like put up the ranks for you because it gets, gets confusing. But Michael and Gabriel, all right, they're not even called son of God. Collectively, angels are called sons of God, pointing to the fact that they were created beings, which is huge in your doctrine of angels. If you think that angels were part of the beginning when God was, you're wrong. God made them. They were created. So then you're like, well, why did God allow a certain amount of angels to fall? It's the same reason why he allowed sin to give himself more glory, that he could be the victor, that he could stomp on the head of the serpent. Are you with me, church? You see, he allows these angels to fall so that one day he could prove himself as God, though proof was not needed. Are we together? So he is the son of God. He has a better, superior title and name. So Jewish Christian, listen, like he's way better than. Jesus, as mediator and intercessor, doesn't even compare to this lowly angel. But I want to say this too to you. All these quotations are from the Old Testament. Uh, One from 2 Samuel, the rest of them from the Psalms. Who wrote most of the Psalms? David. If you're a Jew, what's your perception of David? Anyone? Yeah, like Yahtzee, right? You say David, I say Yahtzee, right? Like that's just, David held with him this like he was, he was like the original king. 
So if, if David is speaking of these things, then a Jew would know the Scripture, especially know the Psalms and the law especially. And these words would come with tremendous power. Are you with me, church? So all these quotations, I'm not going to tell you where they all come from, but all of them are from the Psalms. As if to say, listen, Jewish Christian, like David's even alluding to the exaltation of Jesus in some of his writing. Not all these are about Christ. So listen up, okay? Next slide. The second piece here in verses 6 and 7. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame, uh, a flame of fire. The second reason why Jesus appeared to angels is because angels worship him. Did you see his birth? They're gathered worshiping the Son of God. Okay, I'm going to A plus B equals C. Anytime you see someone else worshiping something else, that means they're better. Okay, that's just the way it goes. Especially in the heavenly order. These angels come. They prophesy about Christ coming. He comes. They t- they're telling Mary. And when he comes and he's birthed, angels are worshiping Christ. Therefore, Jewish Christian, listen. Jesus is clearly, clearly more powerful. Now, I've already alluded to this, but the word worship here is not like this concept that we often think of of worship, of singing, or even simple obedience. The word here is submission. Angels worship him. They submit to Jesus. Remember what the writer said in the, in the first three verses? All things were created through Christ. Okay? Even the angels. So there's this concept and understanding of submission. All right? Now, you ready for one of my favorites here of the, of the five? Here we go. Next slide. Verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unrighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9. Look at this. Please, if you don't see, look at this. Verse 9. Love it. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Don't put up the next slide yet. My son, I had some quality time with my kids last week. Okay. Loved it. Spent six days straight with them. Incredible. Loved it. I'm still here, right? Barely. But it was amazing. And uh, what I put my son, my uh, son Dawson, through boot camp, okay? What that means is um, there were several days where, uh, where it was very intense, okay? And I want to talk about one thing in, in particular. My little girl Avery loves to, loves to color. Anyone else? You're like, I love to color. Okay, right. Mostly moms and the same girl who's in the library, right? Now, listen. No, I love that, though. No offense. Um, she loves the color. So we've, we've made her this box of crayons, okay? And it, it opens and closes. My son has made it a mission of his as many possible times as he can spill. And we're talking like 100 crayons in this thing. As many times as he can possibly spill this crayon, that is what gives him joy. I mean, he is happy when he's spilling these stinking crayons, okay? So I have, like, I'm not home every single day during the day, so I'm not privy to all this stuff. So first day, I'm like, all right, kids, like, you know, daddy daycare, this is going to be awesome, you know? And so we're going into this thing. And literally in the first hour, he spilled this, this like crayon thing. I mean, it's probably 10 times. And I'm picking it up and he's just laughing about it. I'm like, no, homie, don't play that. Like, I don't, I don't care how young you are or how sinful inherently you are. Like, we're going to deal with this. You know what I'm saying? So listen, um, so here's what I did. I said, I took the box of crayons and I put it in his face. I'm like, no more. No more opening, okay? You open, you get in trouble, you know? And, and, I'm, and I'm teaching him through this in a loving way. Um, 
and, and I'll talk about discipline of kids another day. Um, but, but every time he opened this, uh, this box of crayons, I punished him, okay? Now, by the end of the week, the end of the week, okay, he would walk up to the box, he would walk up to the box of crayons, and he would see it, and he would look at it, and then he would look at me. Seriously, that's what he would do. Look at it, and then he would look at me. And I'd be standing over there, and I'd be looking at him, and we would kind of have this stare off. And then he would like look at the box, he'd like look at the box again, and I'd still be looking at him. And then he would open it. He's still fine. He's been completely obedient. In fact, if he wants to color, he can. Yeah, right. You know, it'll be like 10 not coloring. But he, he like started like picking up a, co- a couple of the crayons, right? And then he would look at me again and then he would put the crayons back. And, and like, so bam, like we're good. Like no more spilling the crayons. But listen, I know because of the rhythm of the week and all of the times he was punished, it was killing him inside not to spill those crayons. You see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he's looking at that thing like it's a piece of steak at Texas Roadhouse. You know, he's like, just wipe that on my face. Like, I want that thing. You know what I'm saying? Right? That's what he's, that's what he's looking at it as. But it would be completely different if he literally loved obeying me. It's one thing to obey out of fear of punishment. And it's another thing to not desire to spill those crayons because he loves doing what's right. Loves it. Do you see what the text says here? Jesus wasn't just all righteous, my friends. He loved righteousness. He wasn't just the fulfillment of all that's right. He loved it. He loved righteousness. To obey his father, Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to death on a cross. And he loved it. He loved obeying daddy. He wrestled with it in the garden. We just read that a second ago. But he loved it. Listen, can I just take a second and encourage you? It's one thing for you to say you love God. And it's another thing to say you love Jesus because you love God. But it's a whole nother thing to say you love following Jesus because you love God. The call of following Christ is, I not only desire to obey your commands, because I know they're good for healthy, living, and eternal life. I love it. I love it. I love looking temptation in the eye, and by the power of of the Spirit, and not my own control and power, that I I, I leave it. The temptation holds no bearing. You see? Now, I'm not saying I figured this out. But I'm saying if we look at Christ and his example, then the example is we must become not just pursuers of righteousness, but lovers of it because we love God. And Christ modeled for us what it looked like to live it and love it. Are you with me, church? And so I don't want to be my little boy who's looking around for God saying, are you looking now? Are you going to smite me now? I want to say, I will obey Because I love what you did for me, God. And I love you and your character and your nature. And so because of that, I flee temptation. And it's not a burden, it's a blessing. You see? So the third thing, after all of that, uh, he's superior because he has supreme nature, right? Like, look at the text. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You love righteousness. You have a supreme nature. Angels are holy 
beings. Okay, some uh, people have asked me before, as, even as we're wrestling, like, how could Lucifer fall and then no angel fall after? I don't know. God is sovereign and good. But something happened after Lucifer and the third of the angels fell, that these angels became holy beings. Okay? He's supreme in nature. Next slide. Love these next set of verses. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Look at this. But you remain. They will all, I love this, they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Jesus appeared to angels because, number four here, because, number four here, of his eternal existence. Again, he created angels. Like he lasts forever. And angels were created beings. And so he has an eternal existence, an eternal nature. And uh, the last thing here in uh, verse uh, 13. I love this. Verse 13, go ahead and uh, flip that slide. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Now, last week I, I talked to you about the right hand of God. And we talked about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. You remember this? And the right hand of God is the place of honor. But I explained to you last week, two weeks ago, that in the temple, no priest ever sat down because there was always sacrifice to be made. So when Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the idea, the concept is the work is done. The priest can sit now because the sacrifice is over. And not only does he sit, but he sits at the right hand, which is the place of honor. Okay? He's greater superior to angels because, uh, number five here, next slide, because of his place of honor. Christ, fully God, sits at the right hand of God in his rightful place of honor. Now, we step back from this whole text and we look at all of these things, these five things, Jesus superior to angels and his readers are getting just pushed and indoctrinated with this kind of thought. What, what kind of uh, semblance do we come to? What kind of conversation can we begin to have about angels and Christ? Here's something. I can't explain to you all the mysteries of angelic beings and even all that they're currently doing except to say that they're messengers and ministers. But I know this. After this uh, teaching and all the study, I've had a greater appreciation for it a greater appreciation, not just for the mystery that Ephesians 6 talks about, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, right? Like portraying this like battle that's happening. And I don't even, you know, I can't even build a strong biblical doctrine of it, though we see it in the scripture, like this battle, and we see a protection happening, right? Because look at verse 14 here. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? It portrays this picture for us that like, like angels are the inworkings of angels and demons. They, that it does somehow affect us. But the writer is saying not more than Jesus. They don't affect you more than the Christ. There is some mysterious cosmic spiritual realm that you and I can not even begin to understand, but we can certainly appreciate and, and say that it's real. Amen? But it's not more than Jesus. And it shouldn't take 
our focus away. And so these Jews are reaching for angels. They're reaching for mediation. They're reaching for an intercessor. Maybe it's angels. Maybe angels will bridge the gap. Maybe if we can better even worship angels, which Colossians 2, Paul specifically says, do not worship angels. But maybe if we do that, maybe it will bridge that gap between us and God. And what the writer of Hebrews says, no. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the intercessor. Jesus is the answer. There is nothing that you can ever put in the place of mediator except that of Christ. He did the work. He's the sacrifice. I don't care whether it's an angel or anything else for you, Jewish Christian. Do not do it. It's Christ. And the whole rest of Hebrews is building that doctrine. That's why angels and that's why now. They have to get it in their domes. Nothing can take the place of Christ. And so what about us? Here we are, our beautiful maroon pews, right? All of our existences running around this world all over the place. Makes you ask the question, do we ever put something in the mediator's place? Do we ever put things that should only be the rightful place of Christ, but for whatever reason, we find ourselves trying to reach like the Jewish Christians did for angels. I think we do. And I'm going to propose four to you here to kind of close up and see if maybe any of these relate to you. The first thing is this. I'll put this next slide up for me. Um, for some of you, many of you, you're the, you're the mediator. And what I mean is like, if you can just obey enough, if you can just portray Christianity enough, if God can look down at you and say, oh, you're such a great Christian. Look at you. You've done such a great job. Look at how many people you serve. Oh, you even read your Bible for 20 minutes a day. Oh, is that a Christian t-shirt I see and a bumper sticker on your car? Extra points from, from God, right? I'll even send a few guardian angels to give you a high five, right? Like some of you have put yourself in the place of mediation. You're the mediator. You're the bridge gapper. If you can just find yourself, find your way, work so hard to get to God then you've become the intercessor. Some of you have put yourself in the place that only Christ should be. And I know it seems so elementary at times, but we find ourselves doing it all the time. Did anyone see me serve there, right? We serve so that people will see us. Oh, did you watch me painting at the new building? Did you see that? Did you see that white on that door? It was unbelievable. Did you see that family that I helped and served? We're still... Although the grace of Christ is sufficient for our sin, trying to work our way to him. Why? Why? The next thing is this. A person of influence, uh, parent, pastor, leader. Many of you, uh, your relationship with Christ has nothing to do with you and God. Your time alone The time when you're all by yourself in a closet with your Bible open praying? No. This is your whole experience right here. I'm not talking to those of you who don't believe. We're not so glad you're here, but obviously like, you're not going to have time with God if you don't believe in Him, right? But for those of you that do, if this is the totality of your experience, then you've put something else as a mediator. Some of you had a great parent, strong teacher you loved, or a friend even that's like really on fire for Christ and they're your mediator. You see what I'm saying? If I can just get around them, like they know the words so well. Dude, tell me what you learned today. 
and then you're, then you're spouting out sloppy seconds. You know what I'm saying? Because then, because then you're like, oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I read earlier today in James chapter 2 verse, and it was what your friend read. Have you ever done that before? Right? Where all of a sudden like you were spouting off something else that someone else heard or said. It was like, you know, eating off someone, a uh, sloppy Joe plate, you know, that already left it there for you. It's like, this is disgusting. Exactly. It's seconds. We shouldn't have seconds, my friends, of the scripture. It should be our time with God, you see? But you put some person. I will fail you. I am a sinful, desperate, depraved man. And without Christ, I'm nothing. So please, any person in a pulpit or person of leadership, they're to be directing us towards Christ and not themselves. And if I ever direct you in this church towards me, please forgive me. And I should, I should not be in this place. Our roles, elders, Matt, Jeff, and I, and Brandon, all, Jared, all the crew here, is to focus you towards the person of Christ. We can't put a person in the place of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? The third thing, and this is many of you are right here, is an emotion. I can just feel that way. Then God and I. And your whole thing is based around this feeling. Your whole understanding of God is if I can just... And listen, you put your emotions in the place of the gap bridger. <laughs> if, I, if, if, if Brandon doesn't do a great job tonight and create some emotional thing for me, like I'm out of here, right? Like this is... Like I'm done, you know? If Mark doesn't, you know, if we don't stir... Friends, most of us are right here often. Our relationship with Christ fluxes with our emotions. Forgive us, Lord. He's constant, he's steady, and though our emotions ebb and flow, they should never be the gap bridger between us and God. Are you with me? The last thing, and this is tough, is knowledge. And I want to say it this way. For some of you, work with me here. For some of you, the Bible is your mediator. Did he just say the Bible is the mediator? Is that right? right? For some of you, Reading the scripture, filling your head with knowledge has become your mediation. The Bible calls itself living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. But in John 1, the scripture says the word became flesh. This is where we learn about the character of God. This is where we go for truth. This is where we seek out God's will and understanding and know his promises. But the Bible in and of itself is not Jesus. God wrote it. It's his words. It's living and active. But Jesus is Jesus. It's the Pharisees who filled their heads with the book and yet knew Christ not because knowledge for them was the gap bridger. If I can just know enough about God, then certainly I can be close to God because I can explain to God who he is. You see, that's what they did. I can tell anyone about who God is. And so therefore, God must look down and say, man, you're so smart. You understand me. Of course, you're going to be my righteous son. The writer of Hebrews said, no. No. Angels cannot mediate. Angels cannot be your intercessor. No. And I tell you tonight, friends, that I deeply love and adore. No. You cannot Another person will not. An emotion will never. And knowledge can never. 
Only Jesus. Only the bloodshed on a cross. Only the grace of Christ. That's our path to God. That's our connection to a great, holy, righteous God. We must repent and run from these four things that we have placed as this gap bridger. Maybe if I can just feel them, then I'll know God. No, Christ. Christ is our answer. Christ is the mediator. Christ is the intercessor. And so I call you and I call me tonight to repentance of these things. You see what I'm saying? If we put anything in the rightful place of Christ, we have put the gospel at a diminished location where it should be for us. The thirst, and listen, and the love of righteousness. Not because we love doing what's good more than Jesus, but because we love Jesus and therefore we love following him. No, Jesus is the mediator. And so what is it for you tonight? You're like, all the above. The promise of the scriptures is repent. And the scripture says he will never leave you or forsake you. And for those of you that have been trying and don't know Jesus, don't have a relationship with him, let me tell you something. The grace of Christ, listen, I've heard it a million times. How could God ever forgive me for all the wrong that I've done? And I love saying to them, how could he not? He's the Christ. Call out to him. Plead out to him. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I desire repentance and I want to follow you all the day. Call out to him tonight. Stop trying to put any of these things or nothing in the place of mediation. He is your way to God. Let's stand together, church. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask the guys in the back just to just to turn literally every light off. I just don't even want lights on at all. Because our tension is because we're together corporately. It's so difficult at times to ever just ever just even hear repent because there's so much else going in our on in our minds and in our thoughts and in our hearts. And so I want to encourage you tonight as we just stand here for a moment and just worship, can you find yourself just alone in this room with God? And if you need to walk somewhere or go somewhere or whatever, sit somewhere else, just do it. But let's tonight say, no, nothing else will be in the place of mediation. Only you, Christ. God, I would ask right now that you would hear our cries of repentance that you would forgive those who call on your name like you say in the scriptures, that you would pour out your love because of your grace, God. You say that there's a saving love that your scripture even says can control us. God, hear our cries and meet us now in this place.